10, 15. Back up field at the 35 to the 40. 45, 50. Pass the 50. 35, 40. Pass the 30. To the 20. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. Hello again, everyone. This is the Old College Try. This is your host, Tim Highland, and joining me as always is my co-host, Mike Unger. Mike, except for issues unrelated to college football, <laughs> I, I am currently on cloud nine. Wow, that's that's a surprising and uh, enthusiastic and a thrilling thing to hear. Why are you so excited, Tim? Um, my uh, my preferred college football team is off to. I told you before <laughs> our show before the season, I could have legit seen them zero and three or three and oh and here we are and look we could have been at least one and two at this point huge plays and key keep key points in games um but a great road win over wisconsin a great home win over auburn which was a spectacular scene and here yeah. we are number six in the country and looking really good and uh life is good right now mike congratulations it was a it was quite a scene all day from the beginning of game day to the end of that auburn game uh Happy Valley looked like the place to be. And a couple things about the whiteout before we dive into the game. It looks like really an incredible experience for the fans. It, you know, it, it looks like uh, it creates an environment unlike any other. And people on game day and others were really kind of going out of their way to, to, to call it the greatest uh, environment in college football. I think Fowler said it in all of sports, which to me seemed a bit hyperbolic, hyperbolic yeah. but, uh, you know, whatever. He grew up in Happy Valley. He's got uh, he's got a place for for um, that stadium and, the, and that program in his heart. But quick question, uh, you know, all week I noticed Penn State only six and six heading into the Auburn game during whiteouts. Uh, so why is that? I mean, if everybody it's, it's an incredible atmosphere, no doubt. And I'm sure it's a lot of fun for the fans, but it seems not to matter much on the field. <laughs> I think the obvious answer is it's reserved for the biggest game of the year. And half yeah. of those. Or Ohio State, which is the right, right. or they're, they're teams that could, are better than Penn State, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, um, but it it really looks super fun. I watched the game on my roof, a perfect night in uh, in Baltimore, and it was uh, it was a great great experience. Uh, even translated to television, well, even translated to television on mute with music I, on. I will. Um, we'll get to the game later. I'll say one last thing. So today I was listening to. Um, Reese Davis on the Packers show, which we both love. And I think he described the whiteout scene perfectly. And I am in total agreement. He's at, you know, we've been to LSU and I've told people like, I've never experienced anything louder than LSU. I don't know if you have Mike, but that roar at that camp, that that was like unreal. Okay. I was super impressed with Outson. I thought Outson, when it got loud, got super, super loud. Um, so I would never claim in the years that Penn State's the loudest stadium in the, in the country. It's loud, but it's not the loudest. Reese Davis just said, you know, the difference is, um, he's like, hey, the whole experience is one thing. Mm-hmm. Also, he's like, no other place is sustained loud like mm-hmm. Penn State. He's like, between like, and like, this is all like the stadium people like queuing them up and stuff. So it's kind of like right. manufactured, but he's like, from start to finish, it never really gets quiet which is like unique in a way, right? Um, 
they have them going. So I thought like he was like, yeah, he's like, not the loudest, but it's sustained. And that's something different in college football. So, yeah, that's an in- interesting observation. Um, anyway, so Mike, what was your weekend besides watching the whiteout on your roof? Uh, I watched the noon games. Well, I started by watching. It's a horrible, tri- a horrible problem that I blame you 100% for. I watched Arsenal instead of college game day from, <laughs> uh, from 10 to noon. They got the win there. That was nice. Um, and then I watched the noons in my basement, all kinds of great games at noon. So I had three, four games going at noon. Um, then we headed out, actually went to watch Purdue Notre Dame at a Purdue bar in Baltimore with, uh, with a friend of mine in Notre Dame or pardon me, a Purdue grad. And then came back and a couple of friends came over and went on the roof for the night games. And I was the, also the lone, um, survivor who made it through BYU, Arizona state, which we'll get to, which was a tremendous game. I could have forgotten this because you know my brain's not the best, Mike. But did I was I aware there's a Purdue bar in Baltimore? I don't think you were. No, it was it's it 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 popped up well after your after your time here. And by a Purdue bar, I mean like three Purdue people go there occasionally, <laughs> and the and the bartender will turn the bar, the game on if they're there. I do love that though. That's that's three to me counts. That counts. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's impressive. They did not have a drum of any size with them. It would have been cooler if they did. <laughs> i did love during game day the um someone took video of the drum being driven to the field by some random pickup truck I, uh, <laughs> yes and i was very, you know the random pickup truck is a perfect way to describe it i mean and it, it looked like it was bungee corded down by like my dad and me when i was in high school or something it did not look very secure in the in the bed of that pickup but i guess it did it was an interest interstate trip so it made it there and it made it back presumably so the, the, the truck was not branded as a Purdue truck, right? No. So, and also it, 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 it the, the drum did not look secure to my, uh, to my uneducated eye. And we're talking about an engineering school here. So Jack was asking me, he's like, what's the thing with the drum? And I'm like, oh, Purdue, had, they bring the world's largest drum to every game. And he just like, he's, he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, it, I don't know if it is, but they say it's the world's largest drum. <laughs> it's 10 feet tall i think or something they said he looked up and he's like he laughed hysterically he's like this is ridiculous i'm like that's kind of it is it is ridiculous <laughs> and it's even more ridiculous that notre dame wouldn't let them bring it in <laughs> all right let's get right to the week in review we'll start of course with uh penn state 28 uh auburn 20 um you know mike i'm a big fan of david jones harrisburg patriot mm-hmm. uh, he's been covering that team now for god 20 plus years Um, went to Ohio State he's seen some football in his time he said in his day after wrap-up that to him all things the game the atmosphere the build-up all of it to him it was a top five Penn State game ever Um, wow I'm not sure I'd put it there for a few different reasons but um, a really great great game I'll start with the positives for Auburn Uh, Tank is a pretty good tailback Mike he's fantastic and perfectly named (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and look, th- me as a Penn State fan, that that one drive when it was like we literally could not stop it, it was like seven yards a rip. It's like, oh, this is a problem, right? Yeah, yeah. And our front seven's pretty legit. Um, Bonix, I wouldn't say he played poorly. He didn't make plays. Can I can I jump in with Bonix yeah. real quick? Uh, exact. I completely agree with you. He didn't play poorly, and my point with that is that. He's just not anywhere near an elite quarterback. And Auburn is not going to be anywhere near an elite team with him at quarterback. His record on the road is four and six. He can't make 
some of the throws. You can see that. Again, even saying he didn't play poorly. He's just not an elite quarterback, and Auburn has a mid-level ceiling with him as their quarterback. I also thought Auburn lacked for weapons at wideout. Didn't really have a go-to person there. Um, their front seven, I thought, was excellent. In the run game, outstanding. Pretty much shut Noah Kane down. They did not sack Clifford one time. That's incredible. Pretty remarkable. A lot of hurries, but never got home. So that's curious to me. Positives for Penn State, it must be said, Sean Clifford has an up-and-down career, but 28 of 32 for 280, and I think two touchdowns, only one pick. The pick was an end-of-the-half kind of thing. He played the best game ever. Um, Jahan Dotson, absolute stud. Superstar, and he—that's what he—he's—he's like a top five receiver at any program in the country. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Um, And the defense, once again, was really, really solid when they needed to be. Atmosphere was great. I just think, um, look for for James Franklin, especially that was a really big win for him. He, I think, he kind of like needed that more than Hart. Obviously, more than Harson needed it at Auburn. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah, Penn State. You could make a case right now. To me, look, I've, I've watched Ohio because, you know, I grew up in Ohio. I, I feel obligated, like, to watch them every single week. They have not looked good. They have not. No. And to me, you have to say at this point, based on the evidence that Penn State and Iowa are better or are more deserving to be ranked higher than Ohio State, and they currently are. More deserving to be ranked higher at this point in the season is the right way to put it, I think. Yeah, um, I agree with you that it must have been an incre- just an incredible day from start to finish there in Happy Valley. Um, but I, I, a couple things I'd like to add is, and I don't say this to be kind of a party pooper, but <laughs> we'll just we'll just see how good Auburn is or how big a win this is, you know, by the end of the season. Um, Auburn played well. Both teams played well. Both teams played well. Penn State looked great. It's not to take anything away from Penn State but I'm just not quite sure how good Auburn is. Obviously they're a solid program, but is this some kind of like signature win? And number two, very, very unseemly. I, you know, obviously we have a lot of friends in common who are Penn state uh, fans and super alums. My brother-in-law is as well. My uncle as well. Lots of people in my life love Penn state. A lot of really, really petty bitching and griping about the officiating. Now, of course, (laughs) we're, Were there blown calls? Yes. The downs, the downs was inexcusable. There were some other probably questionable calls, but it got to the point where every call that was being made, my phone was blowing up with these are the worst refs ever. Why are they? And then what I, what I love especially is why are they, why do they want Auburn to win? (laughs) Why do they want Auburn to win? go, Go ahead and accuse them of being incompetent. That's fine. But let's not go to why do they want Auburn to win? It was not the best officiating performance. It was certainly not the best officiated game, but I heard no complaints whatsoever uh, when there was no pass interference on the last play. I will say, so to your point, I had no problem with, so I thought the, the worst was the messing up the downs. That's kind of, that's that's inexcusable. (laughs) And like, it's one thing if you miss it on the field, but they actually reviewed it and still got it. To me, it's like mind blowing. Um, The, the grounding on Clifford was bizarro. I didn't mind the no call on Knicks because it wasn't grounding. It wasn't. Yeah, it um, was. I didn't think 
the I didn't think that the no call on Brisker should have been interference. That was just like, first of all, a horrific play call by Auburn. I, well, that was it was solely designed to try and get interference. I think there was no like you're throwing at Penn State's literal best player. Jaquan Brisker is the best player on the team. Why you're throwing at him? Poor execution. Um, and I will say too, like I think there is universal agreement right now, and I am fully cognizant of the importance of why we need to avoid head-to-head collisions mm-hmm. targeting is a disaster right now Oh, I, I have so much to say about this when we get to the indiana game but i completely echo your sentiment we listen to we uh um imbibe a lot of college football media right tim yes um i haven't heard anyone defend targeting as it's currently constructed I mean, people who don't agree on anything agree that targeting is broken and needs to be fixed. And when we get to the Indiana game, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about it. But, uh, yeah, I completely, completely agree with you. And, again, that, that call against Arvin was, was a backbreaker for them. That was huge. Yeah. And, like, it was not a malicious hit. And someone I forget who was on, on um, Sirius Today, they're like, oh, I think it was Lugaville yesterday. And I, he's right. He's like, Believe me, every single coaching staff in this country is completely changing the way they teach kids to tackle. This is a priority for them, and none of mm-hmm. these hits are malicious. This is not, no. said, this is not Lester Hayes with the Oakland Raiders in the seventies when he was literally headhunting. It's totally different. It, it's not even. It's not even guys taking like two, three, four steps after the ball is gone, which which kind of I think when targeting first came out that was you saw that a lot more now especially with the replay aspect of it you're seeing just regular football plays in which split second decisions have to be made and you can't even really think about making a decision you're just reacting but it's in the course of regular football that they're then slowing down to to uh you know milliseconds on on uh replay and they're kicking guys out of games for regular football plays with no malicious intent. I guess I'll just jump into my, now I heard one person suggest, and I think it's the absolute correct uh, way to move forward is basic kind of like the NBA has two levels of flagrant fouls. If it's a targeting, if it's, if it's contact to the head leading with your own helmet or, you know, a defenseless player in the course of regular football, which nine out of 10 of the targetings are, then make it 15 yards and no ejection and reserve the right if you see something that's egregious or malicious reserve the right to then say it's 15 and the ejection but ejecting defenders who are just trying to play football and may make uh, you know an error of of physicality and not a dirty play i think is preposterous and it's happening as we'll see in the indiana game to, Im- to important defensive players who it changes the entire trajectory of games and also the next game. That's the other. Well, it, it, it's 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 terrible. I mean, but everyone agrees. So, do you think there'll be any any groundswell for change? And again, I understand the intent of the rule, and I think it's working. To Lugan Bill's point, it is working. So I think it's time for a tweak, and I think maybe now we're seeing that groundswell of support that uh, that will change it moving forward. Yeah, not to belabor the point, but again, to your point, you're exactly right. Um, so it happened to the Auburn kid um, on mm-hmm. Saturday. What happened was he was going to tackle, and the Penn State guy lowered his head. 
the Auburn guy couldn't do anything about that. It happened yeah. to our best linebacker week one. Like, same thing happened against Wisconsin. The Wisconsin guy put his head down and their heads hit. But that was not the – and this is happening at 5,000 miles an hour. What do you yeah, exactly. to do? You know? And, and I think, as we'll see again later, uh, it's happening more and more to the best players on the defense because they're involved in the most tackles, right? They're around the ball the most. So your safety, who's kind of everywhere on passing plays, or your middle linebacker, who's everywhere all around the field, those are those tend to be the best players on the defense. So the, the targeting calls are happening more and more to them, and it's just uh, it's just not right. It's hurting. It's not fair to the player, and it's hurting the game. Agreed. Um, so Mike, Bama thirty-one, Florida twenty-nine. So um, I'll be honest, I had a busy day. I didn't see a lot of this game. I, I was mm-hmm. on my beloved. So like, Mike, I was concerned. So it was last, the weekend before last, and it was the weekend of the uh, Navy Air Force game. Okay. So mm-hmm. I went to tune in to my serious, to my beloved college football blitz, and it wasn't on. Oh. Okay. They were just airing the Navy Air Force game. And I was like, oh no, did they like cancel the contract? <laughs> I love that so much. I, love I know you do, you do, you do, you do love it. It's a, it's a throwback to the days before there were television, there was television. <laughs> <laughs> and but remind me later after top 25 to discuss a different issue, but so pin that Mike. Okay. Um, so I thought, oh, maybe maybe it's over. It you know, it wasn't. I know I'm probably like one of like 13 people in the country who listens to this show, but it's like the best. Um, a lot of truck drivers probably listen to it. <laughs> I tuned in this weekend. It's like, oh, it was back, and I was reminded how like how great it is to hear these school specific announcers, and few are better than Alabama's Eli Gold. That guy is the best. Do you know what Eli Gold, Mike? Uh, I've heard the name. I, I'm not really familiar with his work, but I did. I have heard his name. If you heard his touchdown call, you it's like signature. It's signature. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Um, well, he gets to use it a said, lot. I, I heard today his call when they stuffed them Florida on uh, the, the two-point conversion to preserve the win. In a million years, <laughs> I th- was this my block of the week last week, Mike? I, it probably was, wasn't it? It I was. Think. Yes, it was. Your own of course, of course it was. Um so all this being said, hey, all due credit Florida for keeping this game close. When I don't think many people thought it was going to be close. Maybe you. I think you kind of indicated, Mike, you thought it could be close last week. Yeah. Um, and, hey, awesome job, Florida. That being said, and this has been a cliche all week, um, how happy is Nick Saban that his team didn't play optimally and now he can, like, just berate them the entire week? <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, this game, I watched most of it. Uh, it was a tale of two halves. Alabama looked like Alabama in the first half, but just shockingly, Florida came out and was able to run the ball in the second half, and uh, they they played great. Um, the game was sullied by a single Alabama fan at the bar I was at wearing an Amari Cooper jersey, yelling at the television with his girlfriend yelling. Whatever he yelled, she would yell the same thing like two seconds later. He was just so entitled, and he would – he, it was my pet peeve is when he, he does, he's not commenting on the play. He's commenting on the player. So instead of being upset that someone dropped the ball or upset about a play call, he yell, yells things like, I'll kill your whole family uh, when, his, when his own player, an Alabama fan for nonetheless, um, you know, does something that he didn't like. So that guy was awful, but it was a hell of a game. And I'll also add that the game day story on Tom Petty's I Won't Back Down was fantastic. And uh, just for that very reason, Gainesville has moved far up on my list of, of uh, 
places we should visit because I want to sing that after the third quarter. It looks awesome. Um, I don't know a thing about Gainesville except that Florida is there. And, and Tom Petty is from there. That's all I know pretty much also. Like, what do we know about the town of Gainesville? Anything at all? I know 0.0. I mean, I guess I could kind of point to it roughly where it is on the map. Kind of like <laughs> in the, the north central part of the state, I think. Like, I, I can picture Tallahassee. I can't picture Gainesville. I can't. <laughs> no, but it's, it's I want to I see that third quarter. Um, and it, it, it looked awesome. Alabama, by the way. So they've won now 17, I believe it's 17 straight games. Uh, of those 17, only two of them were by single digits, both against Florida. Found that kind of intriguing. And both with Mullen? Yeah. Mullen's a hell of a coach. I think we can agree. No, no question whatsoever. Mike, this one is all you. Cincy 35, Indiana 24. Well, first of all, it was the first sellout, non-Big Ten sellout, at Memorial Stadium since the 80s, I believe. And all those Big Ten sellouts are because of the other team. They're most of them are Ohio State. Maybe one or two might be Michigan. The crowd looked fired up. I was following all kinds of things on Twitter, people tweeting, tweeting from the tailgate saying they've never seen anything like this at Indiana. Uh, it was an oddly hot day, over 100 degrees on the field. Very, very bizarre, especially because it was very nice here in uh, in Baltimore. It looked pretty nice all over the rest of the country. IU came out incredibly fired up, absolutely dominated the first half up 14. They got up 14, nothing Cincinnati's offense could not do anything. And Tim, I'm not even exaggerating when I'm telling you the entire point of the game changed when Michael McFadden was ejected for targeting. He's our all American middle linebacker. He's everywhere on the defense. He was ejected for targeting. And again, was it a blow to the head? Yes, it was. It came 0.00001 second after Desmond Ritter released the football. There was, there, it was one of those that where the refs didn't even throw a flag. It was buzzed in by the uh, review people who can do that now. And when the review started, the announcers didn't even know what they were reviewing it for. They thought it might be question of whether it was a fumble and complete pass. Um, he never should have been kicked out. It was a terrible rule. It should have been 15 yards. Absolutely. But he not, should not have been kicked out from that moment on 10. I'm not telling, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Our defense pretty much could not stop their offense. Their offense did whatever they wanted to do. And after the game, I saw an interview with Luke fickle in which he, the first thing he said was he didn't see the call, but he hates the targeting rule and he doesn't think the kid should be ejected. And, and whoever, I think he said something like whoever wrote this rule doesn't know about football because these decisions, as you said earlier, have to be made in 5,000 milliseconds, and it changed the whole course of the game. Now, that being said, Indiana was inside the Cincinnati 10-yard line three separate times and came away with no points. One was an interception by Penix, one was a late fumble, and one was uh, we turned it over on downs after inexplicably going for it instead of kicking the field goal. It was a classic Indiana game from you could 2019 back to you can pick whenever you want in which we play well. We outplay the other team for the, at least a half or three quarters, but we just crumble and don't make the plays to win at the end. That being said, credit to Cincinnati and Luke Fickle. Desmond Ritter did what he had to do. They've got late in the game. They have some real athletes on defense, but it was a it's a disappointing game and it's 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 trending in a in a concerning uh, direction for Indiana. Penix is simply not not the player he was last year before his injury. 
Um, and uh, we can't – Fry Fogel didn't have a good game. We can't run the ball as well as we did last year. And it's, uh, it, was a, it was a disappointing loss. Um, first, on the point of targeting, and I agree. It is it also, too, I'm thinking right now, top of my head, the, the, the rule is inequitable in terms of valuable defensive players versus offensive players. Yes. Right. So imagine, again, just picking what, pick a rant, like uh, intentional grounding by a quarterback. Oh, you're ejected from the game. Imagine right. the impact that has in your team if your starting quarterback is like out the rest of the game and the first half of the next game. In a million years, that wouldn't happen. It wouldn't right. happen. It's like, I'm sorry, your middle linebacker is just as valuable. He, he is. So, I, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. To your point on Penix, I was going to ask you, Mike, what's wrong with him? Uh, well, there, there's a lot of theories. One is that he's just still not fully recovered from the injury. Um, one is that he's kind of gun shy, uh, you know, kind of uh, afraid to be hit. Um, he's just very, very inaccurate. He made even on completed balls, he threw a lot of inaccurate passes and he, his interceptions and decision-making has just been poor this year. The picks that he threw, one was terrible. One was hundred percent his fault. A couple weren't his fault, but it, I, I'm not sure where you're already starting to hear some um, real questioning about whether he's going to be the starter moving forward. And in fact, Tom Allen said in his press conference, when asked about that direct question about quarterback, he said, I think he said something, I'm paraphrasing, but something like no one's job is guaranteed. And it was, it was less than, it was, it was less than a ringing endorsement for Penix. <laughs> no, I feel bad for the kid. Of course, the injury definitely plays an issue. Yeah. And then you start struggling. Um, a quarterback more than anything else needs to feel confident. And yeah. if he's not, it's not going to happen for him. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. This was a surprising one, Mike. Oklahoma 23, Nebraska 16. I think we all expected a massive just disaster here. Mm -hmm. um, Nebraska still has their own issues, but I will kind of put Oklahoma in the same bucket as Ohio oh, yeah. State at this point. They have issues to fix. They have issues on both sides of the ball, Oklahoma. I mean, they're they're precarious 3-0. and And you said you watched a lot of this game, too. I love, I love watching the game, just seeing those two uniforms on the same field um it was great fox always does a good presentation of their noon games i know a lot of people in oklahoma were grumbling and unhappy that this game was starting at 11 a.m central time their time but i think it was uh i love watching the fox presentation of course dj uh graham i believe is his name the linebacker from oklahoma did he make the player the interception of the year or what the one-handed acrobatic pick but what a shrewd coach lincoln riley is they asked him about it after the game Apparently he made, so the, the pick came on fourth down and Nebraska was on the 24 and he picked it off at the three. So he was, everyone in the stadium was losing their mind about, uh, you know, talk, you know, basically saying they've witnessed one of the most incredible one-handed acrobatic athletic plays interceptions they've ever seen. And I agree it was magnificent, but Lincoln Riley said his first thought was he wanted to challenge it to, to over to overturn the ruling as of an interception, so they'd get the ball on the 24 instead of the three, which I thought was just incredible that that was the first thing that entered his mind. That shows you why he's such a great coach. Yeah, that's uh, – <laughs> I saw that too, and I was like – at first I didn't know what he was talking about. I'm like, what are you challenging again? Yeah, that, yeah. That, again, that shows like, hey, this guy's on top of every single thing happening in the game, right? Exactly, exactly. Right. So um, with Oklahoma, with Nebraska – 
I mean, God knows where Nebraska lands after like they probably put so much effort into that game. And it's like, who do they play next week, Mike? Do you know? Uh, I I don't know. I can look it up here quick. You you can anticipate probably a um not as great performance next week. You know what I'm saying? Like they're like, at they're at Sparty next week, which is not gonna be cool. an easy game. <laughs> yeah, no, good luck. Good yeah. luck. Um and Oklahoma too. What like there was so much hype with this team coming in. Like, oh, you have Rattler, he's a superstar, and this is the first year they finally have a good defense again. You just wonder what's going on. Who knows? Yeah, but they Oklahoma still has everything in front of them. They host uh, or, or they host uh, West Virginia next week, and what should be a great game, and is a good lead into the next game we're going to discuss. Yes, uh, West Virginia twenty-seven, Vatech twenty-one. Huge win for the Mountaineers and cousin Dave, the listener. Um, I didn't see much of this game, Mike. Did you? Uh, I was. I, I saw sporadic parts of it, and it looked like a like a beautiful day in Morgantown. B like an incredible atmosphere and great crowd there. West Virginia really controlled the game most of the way, and Vatek crept back into it and then miraculously had a, a late chance to, uh, to tie or even win, but the Mountaineers held him off. And you're right, big, big win for West Virginia, who uh, I think is looking very good. They easily could have beaten Maryland in the first week and would be 3-0 and now heading into Norman. Um, so I think they're, they're a dangerous team to watch. Speaking of dangerous teams, Sparty 38, Miami 17. Remember week one, Mike, when people were talking like Miami could challenge Bama? And look, how much, what a difference three weeks makes, right? Maybe Alabama is not quite as good as they maybe get, they got a little more juice out of beating a Miami team that went, then should have lost to Appy State. They won by two and then got absolutely physically trounced uh, by. Uh, by Michigan State. So I watched most of this game on my second television because it was my lock of the week, upping my record to two and one. And it was physical domination. Michigan State has run the ball right down the throats of every team they've played so far this year. Apparently they have a ton of transfers and everything seems to be clicking for them right now. They're a dangerous team, but it was Miami has a lot of very, very big problems on both sides of the ball. And even saw some grumbling. Uh, I have a fan. I have a friend who's a, who's a Miami fan, and uh, there, there's grumbling about Manny Diaz, believe me. <laughs> like it's Manny uh, Diaz, yeah. well, that they don't have a stadium or facility. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, but, yeah, I agree. Sparty, um, they're, a, they're, a, they're an issue in the Big Ten. Yeah. They are. They are. Uh, Notre Dame 27, Purdue 13. <laughs> Mike, you put your, on your notes. Has Notre Dame ever been more petty? I'm sure they have been more petty. <laughs> in our recent memory, not really than this. Yeah. So the details that I learned were the 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 the, the, the reason they said the drum couldn't come in is because it, they renovated the stadium since the last time they played Purdue, and now the entryway for the visitors, the visitors tunnel, is not big enough to accommodate the drum. But there are other ways. You could, if you wanted them to get the drum in the state. Now, why should they care about whether Purdue's drum gets in the stadium? It just seemed like an issue to me that was a bit, uh, a bit below Notre Dame to to get in the trenches there with uh, with Purdue. But be that as it may, the game was quite ho hum. Um, it was close, but you never really got the feeling that Purdue was going to win. At least that's kind of the feeling I got. Um, and Notre Dame, you know, they they seem to be a good, not great team this year in Purdue. 
is a not good and not great team as they are almost every year. I believe um, the Irish play Wisconsin this week, Mike. Is that true? They do. Yes, it is They're true. Lose. By the way, I'm just I'm fascinated to know who it was at Notre Dame who flagged the drum issue. Like, think of all the issues you deal with. Right. Like Notre Dame <laughs> athletic department and someone flagged, oh, the drum can't come in. This does seem <laughs> intentional, right? This seems it like, does. Especially yeah. with how, much, how it got out and how much coverage it got. Someone, someone decided that it was going to become an issue. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, Ohio State 41, Tulsa 20. Uh, you asked the question, what in God's name is wrong with the Buckeyes? I don't know, but something is wrong. So I, I did see that Ryan Day did demote um, Kerry Coombs, I think his name is, the D.C. Mm-hmm. He's not calling the plays anymore on defense. Um, but the issues go so much deeper than that, I think, to me. And, like, look, the bar at Ohio State is, of course, set very, 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 very high. Um, but this is not – what we're used to seeing from Ohio state or the next team we'll talk about, Mike, there's, there's stuff to be fixed here. Yeah. And and this game against Tulsa was on at the bar and I watched a lot of it. And every time I glanced up, I was flabbergasted that the score was like 13 to six. Um, I mean, this was not, if you just looked at the score 41, 20, I mean, you could, you could surmise that it was an easy win for Ohio state. It was not, the game was close. Uh, against a winless Tulsa team well into the second half. Um, and, you know, eventually Ohio State's, you know, uh, superb offensive personnel took over. But uh, it was not – there were not a lot of smiles on the fans' faces or on Ryan Day's face after a 21-point win at home. And there, until I see otherwise, I don't think Ohio State is the team to beat in the Big Ten. <laughs> you just said not a lot of smiles. And, of course, Mike <laughs> – you're on this check text chain with people who grew up in Ohio and we have very yes. strong opinions about how state fans, you know, and I have good friends who are state fans and I hate to, to um, besmirch them, but there does seem to be a bit of unanimous uh, thought that they are some of the, like the most morose the fans. <laughs> yes. Morose. Excellent word. My girlfriend, Allison, who uh, lived in Cleveland for many, many years, uh, she, she has become a, a, a real Browns fan. She kind of has adopted the Browns does not have the same warm feelings for the Buckeyes. No, that's my point about like, so um, again, I listened to the show. It's called the IMG Lee field college blitz. It's just like they hop around the country all day. It's, it's really kind of cool. like NFL red zone for radio. Yeah. And it's like, you get the, the sense of the local flavor of like, like from the biggest schools to like the smallest schools, but you sense like the unique culture of all this kind of stuff. And part of the beauty of college football announcers is that they're total homers. That's the beauty. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, who's the guy, the poor guy at Auburn who died, who called the kick six. I'm oh like, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember his name, but yes. And, and that call he's going bonkers. Right? Yeah. Bonkers. The guy who calls the Johnny Rogers kicks of the um, um, Johnny the Rocket Rogers power return going bonkers. The guy at Penn State, he goes insane during games. Um, Paul Keels is the, the guy who calls the Buckeye games, and he is a consummate pro. He like just super polished, like you know, Mike, like you and me, like as broadcasters, you have like <laughs> certain skills you need to have. <laughs> He's <laughs> He never misses a beat. It's just, it's perfect, but it's too perfect. It's too perfect. And in the biggest moments, there's just not enough emotion there for me. I just, I, I'm like, 
dude, this is a huge play. And it's kind of like touchdown Ohio state. Like, come on. Yeah. Dude. Right. Right. It's a joyless kind of fandom real quick, Tim, you're to the subject of us being polished broadcasters. I was informed by numerous uh, listeners last oh, week God. and by numerous, I mean, two or three that when I was discussing the South Carolina, East Carolina game, which was my lock of the week. Yeah. I actually said South Dakota over East Dakota. <laughs> and you absolutely did not correct me or apparently were listening at the time. Uh, I had no idea I said it. South Dakota, somewhat understandable. I just visited there a month ago and it is actually a state, a place, a school. East Dakota, inexcusable. Calling something East Dakota. <laughs> Good to know. All right. Um, <laughs> Clemson 14, Georgia Tech 8. Is that the actual score, Mike? I ha- that, that's the actual score? That's the actual score, Tim. And this is a game that featured a two-hour lightning delay in the middle of the game, right in the, at the end of the second quarter. Um, noted listener Ryan Tozier uh, had his si- – and Matt Zarch, of course. had uh, Ryan's sister, Melissa, came down apparently for her first Clemson game ever. Uh, and she got to see one of the worst games Clemson has ever played. Uh, <laughs> with that, that resulted in a win it's in this in the Dabo era, I'll say. Uh, that included a two-hour lightning delay. The whole the, I can't only imagine how long the day was for them. They actually drove up from Atlanta, went to the game, and drove back. So that was a long day. Uh, Clemson, I believe, had DJ is the. I, I heard a stat. I believe he's the lowest passer rating of any quarterback in the ACC. Stunning. Uh, Stunning. So Georgia, or, or so it's it's uh, fourteen, or was it uh, fourteen to six? Maybe I, I don't know what the score was, but Georgia Georgia Tech has a late onside kick that they recovered. It was one of the most perfect, perfectly executed onside kicks I've ever seen. Uh, it found the second pop goes super high right to the Georgia Tech receiver. They have the ball. They're down by six points Uh, on third and 15 or something. They complete a miracle pass. They work their way down to like the two yard line or two or three yard line. Um, uh, Alas, Clemson's defense, which it must be said. uh, I don't think they've allowed a touchdown all season. They've they're, they're, they're played incredible football. They stuffed the rambling wreck, which is a team that had lost to a one double a team this year on the one yard line, there is, there is panic setting in, in Clemsonville, Tim. And I think until we see something from DJ and that offense and that running game, it's, uh, uh, it's uh, deserve it. So to me, out of like the Oklahoma, Ohio state Clemson situation, the Clemson one's the most bizarre to me. I, I can't figure out what's what, right. There's yeah. All those teams have talent. But them, like they're one year off being like, I don't know. It's it's a strange. This looks like a cultural issue, right? I, I have no idea, but but it's red red flags are up when you when you beat Georgia Tech fourteen to eight. Ole Miss sixty one, Tulane twenty one. Things looking good for Lane, Mike. Oh, now Matt Corral seems to be the Heisman uh, the Heisman leader at this early point in the season. And uh, the reason I put this one on there is because Ole Miss is absolutely rolling. And a lot of people are, you know, they are, they are, they've had some success against Alabama in the past. And uh, a lot of people think they might be the, uh, the biggest kind of challenge for the tide this year in the SEC West. 
And wouldn't it be great for um, Mr. Anti-Process Lane Kiffin to beat Mr. Process, Nick Saban? Would that would be, what a story that would be if it happened. But we're getting way ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. So I started watching BYU-Arizona State and I, I missed it. So give me the, 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 the recap here. 27-17, it was an awesome game. It was, there was a whiteout in Provo, and I know everybody, all the Penn Staters rolled their eyes, but it looked just as cool to me as yours. Maybe, you know, about half the size. And, and the, the fans were, you know, an eighth as drunk as the Penn State fans. <laughs> because, but uh, um, BYU looks like a legitimate good team. They've beaten three Big 12 teams this year. They're 3-0. and um, They've beaten the Arizona State the game was just wildly entertaining game with you know back and forth, good hitting. It was like kind of like an old school game in which the offenses played great, but it wasn't, you know, people running wide open for touchdowns all day long. It, you know, both, it, there, there was a lot of balance with both offenses. Both quarterbacks played well. It was just a fun kind of well-played game for the Pac-12 after dark, but it was a uh, just a, a catastrophic day for the Pac-12 as well. We'll learn moving in here, seeing that Fresno State 40 UCLA 37 final tough one for chip kelly but so not only did ucla and arizona state lose late um utah went down to san diego state i believe and northern arizona beat arizona so it was a a very very rough time for the pac-12 Fresno state 40 ucla 37 again what two weeks ago we were extolling the the the, the uh, <laughs> everything about ucla and yeah back to earth mike yeah, well, I mean, no one saw the game because it was on the Pac-12 network, but this is a brutal, a brutal loss for Oregon because the perception of UCLA goes down so far. So they, if they really needed UCLA, now they need UCLA to win out the rest of their games pretty much to, to help them out. But, uh, yeah, tough loss, tough result for the Ducks there. Maryland 20, Illinois 17, Mike. <laughs> I put this on for one reason. It was on Friday night. It was really one of the worst played, most boring games I've seen in many, many years. It was so perfect for being in Champaign on a, on a, on a Friday night. Yeah, you, you, you got the feeling that Maryland players, they had no idea where they were or what day it was. I, I really believe that. Both teams played poorly. Um, you know, Tunga Vailoa is, is, is a good quarterback. He had a, a bunch of yards, but uh, Maryland wound up winning it at the end uh very ugly win for the terps 2017 but good you're still undefeated though. good uniform. what's that good uniform matchup uh no maryland had their they were back to their new uniforms with the the flag vomit all over everywhere uh and i kept showing allison how great they looked in week one against west virginia with the classic red pants and the terps script helmet uh anyway Mike. all right we're gonna do the coach's poll this week mike you ready I'm ready. All right. We'll do it fast. I'm going to, well, I can't skip it. It's the best part. So <laughs> others receiving votes. How about uh, UTSA one vote? Oh, that's sweet. Good. Congratulations to them. And probably the first time they've ever received a vote. Rutgers two votes. Um, let's see here. Our beloved Louisiana 17. Maryland 26. Oh, off the, off the heels of that big win in, uh, against the Illini. Boston College, who I honestly often forget plays college football, has 27 <laughs> votes. Um, San Diego State, 41. Brady Hoax, back from the dead. Leading oh, the my God. Dead. Like this, this is the best. This is the best. All right. I'm going to read you the top, uh, top six, I think. Liberty, 80 votes. Kentucky, 69. TCU, 50. Vatek, 49. 
Texas 42. I knew Texas. I knew Texas would be on there. Well, they did shut out Rice, so that's a big win for the, the And Hornets. the coup de draw, the coup de draw, USC 41 votes. <laughs> for USC. <laughs> Here we go. 25 through 21, Fresno State, 25, 24, UCLA, 23, Auburn, 22, Oklahoma State, 21, Michigan State, woefully underrated in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but kind of kind of funny that uh, Fresno State gets into the rankings by beating UCLA at UCLA, and they're still ranked below them. Still behind them, of course, yes. Uh, 20 through 16, 20, North Carolina, 19, Michigan, also underrated, 18, uh, Arkansas, 17, Coastal Carolina, 16, BYU. I just have a hard time believing Coastal Carolina would stay with any of these other teams that you just listed. 15 through 11, 15, Wisconsin, 14, Iowa State, 13, Ole Miss, 12, Ohio State, 11, Florida. Hmm. Get the, I get the feeling that Iowa State is overranked in that. And uh, interesting, Florida did not drop at all after their loss because they played so well. 10 through 6, 10 Notre Dame, 9 Cincinnati, 8 Penn State, 7 Clemson, 6 Iowa. Uh, Penn State, two, two, uh, two spots higher in the AP poll than the uh, coaches poll, huh? Is that Dabo being Dabo? Is he being spiteful, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> he probably voted for Georgia Tech. And, of course, top five, five A&M, four Oregon, three Oklahoma, which I'm sorry, maybe um, – we can all agree to Georgia and of course one Bama, but even like, look, this year is the most interesting year in a long time. It is. It is. It is with, with Ohio state looking fallible with Oregon playing well. Um, I'm, I'm Texas A&M is an interesting team. They had a lot of Valley who heading into the season, they haven't looked great. They've, they've got some issues at quarterback, but they're still undefeated big game for them against Arkansas coming up this week. Uh, and then I believe they host Bama later in the year. All right, quick one news item, Mike, we covered targeting already. Um, to your point, I am equally fascinated as you by the USC coaching search, okay? Your note is apparently everyone's a candidate, which is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know who, like, so Mario Cristobal seems like the obvious fit in a West Coast perspective, but I'm sorry, I think org is a better job at this Yes, point. me too. Why I don't, I don't, all these people that they're listing, uh, for you know, or, or have being mentioned with this USC job, they already have better jobs or great jobs. I don't see why they would go there. The one that I put down to you is a lot of talk, especially on game day, about Matt Rule. Matt Rule just parlayed a couple good seasons at Temple and one good season at Baylor into an NFL job. That's his dream. I mean, why would he go back to college? Why would he leave a Carolina Panthers team that can pay him more? He's in the NFL. He's got Joe Brady as his offensive coordinator, and he and he's uh, undefeated so far this year. I don't. Why on earth would he go to USC? And the second, the only other thing I wanted to add is I can totally see USC for a third straight coaching search getting hot with Dante Williams or interim. Uh, he already, you know, they already looked great against Washington State. What if that happened? Would would there be any way in hell they would give it to him for uh, give it to an, the interim for? I mean, they refused to do it with Orgeron but they did it with Clay Helton. But uh, it's really one of the reasons that you almost never want to replace your guy uh, in the middle of the season because then the interim starts doing well and people are like, why don't you just give him the job? And he would have usually had it if he was the right guy to begin with. I mean, like I've heard even talk about like, oh, how about Pete Carroll? I'm like, are you serious? Like- yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, it, we always talk about this. Every All the fan base think 
whatever whatever team they're a fan of, it's the best job in America. And just so many names that I'm being uh, I'm hearing in, in, a, in association with this job. I don't see why the people would go there. And I there literally to me is not the only one who makes sense to me for a lot of reasons. Is Urban Meyer. Well, he's not going to leave. Even Urban Meyer will not leave Jacksonville after one season. I think he would, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I don't he think would. he would. I don't think he would, especially with Trevor uh, uh, with um, Trevor Lawrence being the quarterback. Do you, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, <laughs> I mean, more likely, um, Urban Meyer or Mario Cristobal or James Franklin or Matt Rule or Pete Carroll of that group. Who's the most likely? Well, that's a bunch of unlikely people, but <laughs> all right, I'll give you Urban of that group. But they're all, many of them are going to get raises because of this. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, games of the week. Um, a noon kick. By the way, Mike, so what are your thoughts on the the big noon kickoff? I mean, I, I get the theory. It's, okay, Big Ten wants to own the noon window, okay? But mm-hmm. putting your big game at noon is – that's a play, right? I mean, and I don't like. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of like it in, in that. Well, I think one of the reasons the Big Ten likes it is because the you know Fox gives it the full game day coverage. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of times they're live at this stadium wherever they're doing the game. And um, to me, you know, I, I don't know. I, I understand where you're coming from. Um, and I and I think we're always in agreement that three thirty is the optimal kickoff time. Yeah. But uh, as a fan, uh, you know, with without a lot of skin in the game, I, like obviously it doesn't really matter when Indiana plays. <laughs> um, I don't mind it. Um, by the way, Mike, Penn State Indiana is a night kick. By the way, Did you hear that? I, I'm very upset about that because I, I will be at the Clemson Boston College game, which was also today announced as a night game. Um, okay. That being said, number 12, Notre Dame at number 18, Wisconsin at soldier field. I hate that. Like whatever noon. That's one. I feel very strongly that Wisconsin wins this game. Interesting. Wisconsin's a five and a half point favorite. I was very surprised to see that when the lines came out today. Um, I would kind of trend toward Notre Dame with the five and a half, but, uh, uh, it it should be a classic. I mean, I I wish it would snow for this kind of game. (laughs) Or maybe sleet. And also, <laughs> have the grass be really high. <laughs> if there's grass there, I don't know if there's grass that's on the field anymore. Who knows? Um, yeah. Mike, why'd you put Villanova at Penn State noon Big Ten Network? Why is it on there? <laughs> because I actually did hear someone say, this is a tricky game for, for Penn State. <laughs> and, and also, I know you have a, you have a little uh, love in your heart for Villanova, right? It's, it's not very far from your house. They have a very talented one double A program, don't they? Yeah, like they're they're a quality top, easily top fifteen FCS program every single year. Um, they are fifteen minutes from my house. They have a nice little stadium. Yeah, yeah. How Pretty loud like, do you think? How loud do you think it will be at the stadium at noon for a kickoff against Villanova as compared to the Auburn game? I think the announced attendance will be like ninety two thousand. The actual attendance will be like. 50 lower lower 70s at best best. yeah yeah well that depends on the weather um louisville at florida state 330 spn2 by the way how bad is florida state mike well that's why i put this one on put this one on for two reasons one uh the louisville ucf game on friday night wildly entertaining louisville won on a walk-off pick six which you don't see 
very often. Uh, and it was really, really back, really entertaining back and forth game. But Florida State, 0-3, losing to Wake Forest after losing. And the reason, how, like, do you think they'll get viciously booed off the field, their own home field? And talk about low attendance. I mean, remember when that professor was reading the book uh, shirtless at the Florida <laughs> State game about four or five years ago? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, the camera people are going to be looking for shots like that. Uh, the Mike Norvell era might be, you know, here and gone before we know it. If they look. I watched this game easily and go zero and four. In fact, I believe yeah, Louisville's a two and a half point favorite on the road. I watched a quarter of this game. I could not encapsulate like Florida State looked awful. Just against awful. Wake Forest, you mean? Yeah, terrible, yeah. terrible. Yeah, it's it's stunning. Uh, number nine Clemson at NC State, three thirty ESPN. Um, <laughs> look, <laughs> NC State is what the they're the uh, Sparty of the. ACC. Yes, that's a great analogy. Yes. So God knows uh, what Clemson to walk into. Like, watch out, Clemson. Clemson. Yeah, well, Clemson historically has struggled there at uh, in Raleigh with NC State. I mean, not not every time, but I believe NC State has been close to beating them like once or twice. That's what counts as struggling for Clemson. They're ten point road favorite, and lots of nervous, lots of nervous Tigers fans about this game. Number seven, A&M versus number 16, Arkansas at Jerry World, 330 CBS. Can we stop with these neutral site games? Um, <laughs> I, put, I put this one on here just to, just to get your reaction about a <laughs> college football game being played at Jerry World in late September. And a, a, top, a top 16 matchup in the SEC as well. Aggies, five and a half point favorites. This looks like a fun game. Um, it's a shame. It's, it's a shame that it's not in Fayetteville, but uh, it looks like a fun game. Rutgers at number 19, Michigan, 330 ABC. Mike, lots of people talking up Michigan big time. Okay. Yes. They have looked good. I think they have, I think to Harbaugh's credit, he's kind of like reimagined what they're going to be. He's going old school. He's kind of following in my mind, like the Barry Alvarez, Wisconsin, the Kirk Ferentz, Iowa thing, which I think makes Mm -hmm. sense. I think they realized you can't out-athlete Ohio State in this conference, so let's do something a little bit different. But I, if I'm a Michigan fan, I fear overconfidence in this one because Rutgers has been playing very, very well. And um, I would not be surprised if this is a close game. What would you guess the spread is? Hmm. I'm guessing the odds – no, I'm guessing the public is looking at just the names and is like – how about Michigan minus 14? Yeah, Michigan is favored by 19. Ugh. And Michigan is getting a whole lot of play out of beating Western Michigan, which did just go into pit and beat the Panthers in a classic pit follow-up to their win at Tennessee. Um, Northern Illinois last week where they put 60-plus on Northern Illinois and a win over a Washington team that's lost to a one A team. And uh, so I don't know. I'm, I remain unconvinced about the Wolverines. Number 24, UCLA at Stanford, 6 p.m. on the Pac-12 network that no one gets. Um, who knows? <laughs> yeah, who knows is right. UCLA, five-and-a-half-point favorites. Stanford playing a lot better. But as we said, UCLA has to pretty much run the table for the rest of their games. Trap game here for Florida, Tennessee at number 11, Florida, 7 ESPN. Again, I think, look, Florida heroic effort last week. But you have to be careful against, you know what, Mike? 
right? Absolutely, absolutely, complete letdown. Florida twenty point favorites in this oh in this ball God. game. Ugh. Yeah, seemed seemed kind of high to me. Uh, Akron at number ten, Ohio State seven thirty in the Big Ten Network. Why is this here, Mike? What do you think the spread in this one is? Uh, 27. Ohio State by 50. Are you kidding me? I, I just wanted to see that reaction. That's why I put this one on there. 50-point spread. I mean, Akron can score 10, 17 points, up, right? Anybody can on Ohio State. I mean, I'm sure Akron's terrible, but like yeah. – I know, me too. But I was just stunned at the way we've seen Ohio State play, especially they coming off a, a win over a Tulsa team that's winless, and they struggled with them into the fourth quarter. I thought 50 seemed a tad high. But then again, it's 50 for a reason. Mike, so in your opinion as a professional gambler <laughs> or your, your experience, how rare is a 50-point spread? Extraordinarily rare. I mean, it's usually against one double-A teams, and so, like, Alabama is hosting Southern Miss, I believe it is, and they're favored by, I think it's 44 uh, this week. Four, yeah, 44, and that's Alabama. So, Akron, maybe their whole team is out on COVID. We don't, we don't know about it or something like that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it seemed like a, it seemed a, a tad bit high to me. Uh, finally, and this to me, like, I will, this will be appointment viewing for me. Cousin Dave's West Virginia at number four, Oklahoma, 730 ABC. If you're Neil Brown and you're looking for a signature win in your tenure, this is your opportunity, right, Mike? And it seems like the door is open, right? West Virginia's playing very well this year. Oklahoma's struggling to find themselves. Sooners favored by 16 and a half. They're coming off a big game against Nebraska, right? They're not going to overlook West Virginia, but it does. You're, you're absolutely right. It seems like the opportunity is there for the taking for Neil Brown and the and the ears here in this game. And the recipe is, <laughs> in theory, so simple. You're the road team underdog going to play a highly ranked opponent whose fans are already grumbling, okay? You make one play in the first quarter. Mm -hmm. The crowd goes sour on the home team. All of a sudden, the crowd is anxious. The home team's anxious. You get a touchdown in the first quarter, the atmosphere changes entirely, right? Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, I think, unfortunately for West Virginia, it's a 7.30 kick. If it, it would be a lot better for them if it was a noon kick. Uh, Mike, so I'm, I, I might give up at this point, walk of the week. It's just been a horrible, horrible experience. Um, <laughs> our picks last week were what? Well, you were, uh, you took Alabama, took the loss, you're 0-3. I went with Sparty, a resounding win for me, and I am a 2-1. Bobby hit the bumper. Plays bets on them college football. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't care. I don't. I never have, and I never will. Yeah, right. Mike Unger, 50-50, possible lot, probably loser of the week. Please hang up and try again. Tim, for this week's Lock of the Week, we are going to glamorous Los Angeles, California, home of Dante Williams and the USC Trojans. Uh, their interim soon-to-be full-time head coach, 1-0 with a resounding blowout victory over Washington State, 42-14 to last week in a game that featured the debut of freshman quarterback 
Jackson Dart. What a name, by the way. Uh, he was awesome. He threw for a bunch of yards, a bunch of touchdowns, over 300 yards, I think four touchdowns. Um, they trounced Washington State 42-14. As I said, this week they host Oregon State, a team that is essentially just like Washington State, right, Tim? How They can't be any better than, than yeah. the, the Cougars, can they? Spread's only 12 points, so I'm taking USC minus 12, I think. They've got a new quarterback, a new coach, and some renewed spirit. Uh, level of confidence, Mike. I'm going to go eight on this one. I really like it. I have zero confidence at this point. I, I just like to. <laughs> as well you should. <laughs> I'll take the Mountaineers, Mike. Plus the 16 and a half. I kind of like that one. That was good. I thought you might go uh, go Florida, too, but I guess the uh, – or Tennessee against Florida, but maybe you're gun-shy because the Gators screwed you last week. Yes, indeed. Um, all right, Mike, your weekend is what? Uh, I've got a great weekend coming up um, Friday off. I'm going to the Outlaw Music Festival featuring Willie Nelson, Sturgill Simpson, Nathaniel Ratliff, Government Mule, and others. And uh, you're going to really have to carry the show uh, next week, Tim, because I'm uh, I'm going camping on Saturday. Won't be uh, won't be around to see a lot of uh, college football, but rest assured, listeners, I'll tape uh, college football final. Which, by the way, Tim, the Saturday's college football final featured highlights of the Princeton Lehigh game. <laughs> I know Lehigh lost, right? The, they lost. They took a 32 nothing shutout defeat to Princeton, yes. But uh, it was returned for the first time in two years of Ivy League football, so they showed highlights of all the Ivies. I thought that was a nice little touch. So, uh, as always, I'll be well-informed, but I'm not going to get to watch a whole lot of football on Saturday. All right, Mike. Well, this is a great show, as always. Um, I will say <laughs> I'm enjoying the fact that the weather is slowly – approaching fall weather we're not there totally yet but we're getting close we are it's uh there's only one thing to say pachas pachas thank you for listening to the tcfa podcast for more college football news and wit visit intelligentcollegefootball.com